Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. Hello, everyone. Um, It's really great to see so many people here uh, interested in uh, learning about what's going on in Lebanon right now, which by all accounts is a very amazing uh, development in the sense that the slogan of the Lebanese revolution, uh, for people who don't know, is all of them means all of them. Um, So this revolution, which began really last year in October and is still ongoing, um, is a revolution not just against, uh, you know, what's going on in this or that situation in Lebanon, but an indictment of the entire ruling elite in Lebanese society. Um, and this has become, uh, you know, really the backdrop of, of the revolution. Since October of last year, you had the masses of Lebanon, which have struggled and toppled not one, but two governments in, in less than a year. Um, And so this slogan of of really attacking the entire political ruling establishment um, in Lebanon um, is important, especially in the context of the Middle East, where you have similar situations, not just in Lebanon, but in Egypt and Iran and Syria and Jordan and all of these uh, Arab countries, which are facing similar crises and the ruling class in these countries cannot resolve them. Um, But in Lebanon specifically, I think the reason that this slogan resonates is because it's uniting everyone. And and this is impressive because Lebanon, for for people who don't know, is a deeply divided country by religion. Um, Since its very inception, it's been torn by sectarian differences. Uh, It's always been a country uh, where, you know, many religions lived side by side for thousands of years, uh, relatively peacefully. But when the French colonized Lebanon, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the... Uh, the early 1900s, uh, they played a role in actually in heightening uh, these cultural and religious differences and using them uh, as a way to control uh, the region. Um, And they would intentionally, for example, attack the Muslim population and elevate the Christians, um, giving them, you know, a loyal and wealthy minority that would support their colonization and so on. And this this, uh, situation in what we call the French mandate, uh, even after the French left the country, Um, It left behind a political system based around these religious divisions in which different, you know, uh, political positions are tied to whatever religion uh, you happen to have. Uh, So it's not really a true democracy. And this was cemented, especially at the end of the Lebanese Civil War in 1990, um, where you had all of these sectarian uh, political leaders, which really were warlords. You know, the country was divided in a civil war. And these, these warlords, you know, came together and agreed to a peace where they would share power, uh, power-sharing agreement called the Taf Agreement. Um, and it, it really was just legalizing corruption, right? And the ability for them to loot and rob the country. Um, and of course, who would pay for this? It would be the Lebanese masses. So the sectarian divisions really in society in Lebanon really come from the top of society. 
and, and are handed down to the masses. Uh, if you grow up in, in, in Lebanon, you're taught this from a very young age. Even actually the birth certificates in Lebanon, you cannot have one unless you state what religion you are. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's that kind of ingrained in people. But this movement, what it's done is actually unite everyone, no matter what their religious background is, no matter what um, you know, political affiliation they were born into, and instead united them, uh, the entire mass of people, against the ruling elite, which are the real criminals in Lebanese society um, that, that have robbed and, and you know, really butchered the masses for, for decades and decades. And this all came to a head on August 4th, when uh, many people saw there was a massive explosion uh, in Beirut, uh, about 2,750 uh, uh, tons of ammonium nitrate uh, exploded. Um, this is a chemical that's often used in fertilizer and explosives. Um, and, you know, uh, about 170, 250 people have been uh, dead, you know, uh, cited dead on, on arrival to the hospital, which was completely overwhelmed uh, with people. And over 5,000 were injured and hundreds are still missing. So this, uh, this uh, death toll is actually climbing. Um, and the, the, you know, as soon as this happened, people started to kind of speculate, you know, what, what caused this explosion? Uh, is it the, uh, you know, was it the, um, uh, for example, Hezbollah, which is a, a known militant uh, terrorist group in Lebanon? Was it uh, Israel? Um, and actually it was quickly found out that it was the neglect and corruption of the government, right? The actual government that's in power, the officials, that uh, caused this explosion. They knew about this nitrate. They knew about it for years, in fact, and they simply left it there in the middle of a city, knowing that it could cause an explosion like this. In fact, just two weeks before uh, the explosion, uh, the president of Lebanon, Aoun, uh, got information about the nitrate uh, and he, you know, he didn't do anything. So he got the info that it was still there, it should be moved, it's dangerous. Um, and, you know, when confronted with this, he said, you know, I don't have any power. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just the president. Um, so they're completely deflecting blame. The government's blaming, blaming port officials. Port officials are blaming other officials, etc. It's just kind of a big circle. And who's, who pays for the neglect and corruption of these people that are in power? Of course, the Lebanese masses, right? They're the ones that actually suffer. They're the ones that are, uh, are forced to bear the brunt of the complete incompetence of these people. Um, and you know, for us uh, in the international Marxist tendency, our response is simple. They're all to blame. All of them means all of them. They're all, they're all meant to, they should, they should all be blamed. Every member of the ruling class in Lebanon has caused this. Um, and thousands have been injured, hundreds killed, and for what? Um, and Lebanon was already a country that was struggling. Um, it's important to point out that this process of revolution, it's not just that this revolution kind of happened as a response to the explosion. It's been building for a very long time. Um, it's been digging under the surface for decades and decades even. Uh, so Lebanon's been facing horrible conditions for an extremely long time, uh, just to name a few things. The government in Lebanon isn't even able to handle something as simple as garbage disposal uh, due to the corruption and bribery in the system. In 2015, for example, there was this crisis where the government just would not handle garbage disposal. They just leave it out in the streets of Beirut. Um, and you had a huge protest movement at that time forcing them 
right, to actually do something. And now they kind of handle the garbage, not really. If you go to Beirut, it's it used to be a very beautiful city. Now it's completely in decay. Obviously, now it's devastated. But I mean, I was there, you know, just a few years ago, uh, just last year. And, you know, you can kind of walk in the streets and you see that there's just garbage piling up everywhere because the government just doesn't arrange for it to be picked up due to, uh, you know, corruption and, and bribery and so on. Even waste disposal from the sewage system is not handled properly in Lebanon. It's just dumped into the Mediterranean Ocean. Uh, you can, it's, it's gone so bad, you can actually look at Google Maps and you can see it piling up. Uh, you know, the satellites can actually see it from space. Um, that, that's how horrible <laughs> it is. Uh, even electricity, uh, you know, the, the basic, you would think, necessity. Um, on average, people in Lebanon don't have electricity for 16 hours of the day. So, you know, there's people, uh, just families that talk about how they have to play, plan their daily activities based around the cutoffs, you know, uh, no hot water at certain times. Uh, you can't wash clothes at, at certain times. You, can't, you have to throw away food that goes rotten because fridges don't work. You know, and, and why is this? You know, again, why does this happen? Well, there's private generator industries which operate kind of like a mafia and they're connected to all the politicians. So there's these bribes and, and corruption that go on so that the ruling elite don't even have to provide uh, basic you know, electricity to people. And of course, it's important to point out they don't suffer from any of this, right? So the people in power, of course, they live very comfortable, very good lives, right? They're extremely wealthy. Um, and they certainly don't have to deal with electricity cutoffs. They certainly don't have to deal with, um, you know, the problems of garbage disposal. They have that all taken care for them, right? So coupled with this, you also have the deep economic issues, which, again, the working class has to deal with in Lebanon. Um, it's one of the most indebted countries in the world, despite being one of the smallest. Uh, and this is because the government routinely gambles and embezzles state money. They just take it and use it for uh, themselves. You know, ministers will enter the government in Lebanon with no assets and leave owning millions. <laughs> One minister, for example, who was, uh, I think, the nephew of the president, entered the government as just a simple school teacher. And when he left his post a year later, he had a private jet. Um, so th th this is the kind of bullshit that happens in this country. It's, it's absolutely absurd. Um, and it led the government multiple times to run out of money, obviously, um, and to ask for money to be lent to them, right, from various uh, international investors. Um, and eventually they just defaulted on their debt, which caused the massive inflation crisis where the currency has lost 80% of its value. Imagine for a moment, just one moment, being paid 80% less, right? So you go to work, you, you work for a week, a month, whatever, um, and you get 80% less of your paycheck because 80% of the currency is useless. So, you know, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, so the prices that have soared as a result, um, a single piece of meat in Lebanon right now is 33 US dollars. It's gotten so expensive that the government isn't actually buying meat for the soldiers anymore. Uh, they just... Thank you. Uh, they've just cut that out of, uh, you know, uh, the, <laughs> the diet um, of the army because it's just too expensive. Uh, the UN has estimated that 50% of Lebanese people will drop into poverty this year. Uh, right now, there's actually over 50% youth unemployment, people between the ages of 18 and 30. Uh, over half of them don't have a job. 
and are unable to get a job. And even more importantly, uh, there's actually an incoming hunger crisis that's happening because Lebanon imports about 85% of its food and the port due to the blast was destroyed, right? Um, and on top of this, the blast also took away the food reserves, which were kept at the ports. So in the next few months, it's estimated that Lebanon will begin to uh, actually face this hunger crisis. Um, and of course, you know, the ruling elite, they're completely oblivious. They, they've done nothing to resolve any of these problems. Uh, complete incompetence, corruption, all they care about is lining their own pockets at the expense of the working class in Lebanon. Um, but it's important to point this out because Lebanon is not actually a poor country. It's not a deeply you know, uh, destroyed or, or poor country by any sense. Many political dynasties in Lebanon have billions in wealth and assets. Um, and they're, they're mostly created these, these fortunes through theft uh, from the national reserves. Um, and they defend themselves through this sectarian political system. So effectively they steal and then they say, no, no, but we care about you know, our own religion or our own uh, you know, uh, portion of the working class in Lebanon. You know, some of the wealthiest men in Lebanon, um, such as the previous prime minister that was brought down in October of last year, um, Said Hariri, he comes from a family that has billions upon billions, um, despite coming from one of the poorest areas in Lebanon, Tripoli, right? Um, and one of these, many of these people have been in, in government before and have used this as a way to uh, garnish wealth and, and gain power. So, you know, this means that the revolution in Lebanon, I see this often, is sometimes characterized as kind of a, a nation coming together against a couple of corrupt thieves, you know, in government. And it's important to understand that's not what's happening at all. This is actually a class issue. It's the working class in Lebanon uniting on class lines um, and uniting not just against this or that politician, but against the entire criminal corrupt system that has brought them into this situation. This is the system of capitalism, effectively, which allows a minority of people to run society, to dictate whatever they want uh, within a, a country, uh, to do whatever they want with the billionaires that they accrue. And uh, you know, the working class can just suffer the brunt of their incompetence and their negligence. Um, so uh, it's really a working class revolution that we're seeing. So, the movement itself, talk a bit about it. Um, considering these conditions, the movement, uh, you know, arising as an outcry against what's going on, makes perfect sense. I mean, it's the accumulated frustration and suffering of the Lebanese masses. Um, like I mentioned, it, it actually began last year in October, where you had the government announce attacks on uh, WhatsApp calls. Uh, WhatsApp is, is often used as a, as a way to communicate in Lebanon because it's pretty cheap. And this was kind of the final straw uh, because people were dealing with so much already. And it's, it's an incredibly impressive movement just because of the scale of it. You know, at the height of it in, in late October, two million people were in the streets. Um, some, out, some media outlets were even saying, you know, three million. Um, and Lebanon is actually only a country of six million people. Um, so that means 30 to 50% of people were participating in this, in this movement. They were out in the streets, et cetera. This huge movement, uh, you know, was quite powerful. Uh, but it also had kind of a mixed 
beg in terms of demands and and there was effectively really no leadership it was just an outcry of anger so you had all kinds of demands you had the demands for reforming the system and punishing the corruption but you also had you know more radical demands things like the demand for health care uh, electricity increased wages and even some people were demanding an entirely new uh, system to be put in place an overthrow of the current system so in in many ways the revolution itself began to personify the change that it wanted to see. And what I mean by this is as the protesters began to occupy Martyr Square, it's this big square in Beirut uh, that was set up, um, I, I believe, at the end of the Civil War. Um, as they began to occupy this uh, in the thousands, they actually began to distribute medical supplies. They began to give food uh, to hungry people. And there was even talk of seizing resources from the government and putting them to use for the people. So the revolution was, was advancing you know, quite quickly. Um, and and the, this, of course, horrified <laughs> the ruling class in Lebanon. They realized that they had to give some kind of concession if they wanted to stay in power. And so they, uh, they resigned in, in October. This was the old government. Said Hariri stepped down. And in was ushered uh, Hassan Diab, which was the most recent prime minister um, who formed a new government. Um, and they did this to appease the masses, of course. They, they weren't interested in changing anything at all with the system. They just wanted uh, to kind of uh, allow the masses to let off some steam, promise some reforms, and then wait until they were in a better position. Um, people, of course, you know, being inexperienced in politics and having effectively no leadership to this movement, many of them went home um, and they decided to give this government a chance. Um, you still had, you know, some sporadic movements throughout the year, but not on the scale as before. Um, so it's important to point out that, though, that with the Hassan Diab government, nothing changed, nothing at all. So for this government was in power for nine months and it passed some anti-corruption legislation here, um, you know, a, a little bit of uh, kind of a small reform here and there, but nothing fundamentally shifted um, in the situation. And this led most recently to a revival in the movement, um, especially in the wake of the Beirut explosion, um, which everyone, everyone in Lebanon really agrees was due to the neglect of the current government. Um, and this led to thousands and thousands of people streaming back into the streets um, you know, 10,000 people in Martyr Square once more. Um, there were even calls from these protesters most recently, just over the past week, um, to join, uh, for the soldiers to join the protesters, um, saying, you know, come join us. How are you? You're not even getting paid. The government's not even paying you. Join us and let's actually form uh, a new Lebanon. Um, so they've been appealing to the army to, to help them against the corrupt ruling class. Um, and the, it's actually quite scandalous because... The, in response, the, the government, before its resignation, unleashed the army and the police uh, on the masses, where, when before they actually were refusing to use the army to clean up uh, the streets in Beirut that were devastated. They, they were actually pulling them back to the barracks. And this is because they knew that there was going to be protests and they wanted to have the army in reserve to, to crush these protests. So the protesters were actually leading up most of the cleanup of the city. Um, they were forming, you know, small committees and teams to clean up parts of Beirut, um, etc. Um, and, and it's fundamental to understand that in this movement, it's not, you know, just a couple of young people, you know, demanding some kind of revolution. It was actually the some of the most oppressed uh, people in society, things like, you know, you'd have 50 year old mothers 
uh, that would go to these protests with their kids, um, who, people who have lived through the last civil war, right? Um, that would be tear gassed and attacked with rubber bullets by the army um, and the, the cops who were refusing to help with cleanup in the city. Uh, and they would be tear gassed and attacked and they would just go back in, right? There was no, the repression didn't stop the movement at all. Um, and this meant that obviously the government got scared um, and, uh, you know, uh, resigned once more. What's important to point out here is the enormous courage uh, that the masses are showing. Uh, it's really quite inspirational. Uh, I've personally, you know, never really quite seen anything like it, where you have people who have been unable to get a meal um, for consistently for weeks and weeks and weeks. They've had their pay cut. Many of them have lost their homes. 300,000 people lost their homes in this blast. And despite all of this, they're uniting together and opposing a, a corrupt regime um, that has led them to this impasse. So the courage they've shown is, inc is incredible. Um, but it's important to understand why the Diab government was unable to provide reforms. Uh, because this was a big demand of, of the earlier movement. The earlier movement was demanding what we would call a technocratic government, right? So a government, instead of a government of politicians, it would be a government of professionals. This was the, the call before. A lot of people will talk about this. But this is really a utopian demand. Uh, it doesn't actually come, to, come about in reality. And there's a reason for that. Um, the problem with it is that the ruling class in Lebanon really fundamentally was not challenged. It didn't change in any real way. All the power, the money, the industry, and Lebanon, and even the government itself, remained in the hands of um, the, the ruling class. So how could this technocratic government, you know, do any kind of reforms when the real problems <laughs> remained? I mean, uh, you know, to, for example, Hezbollah, uh, one of the biggest uh, parties in, in Lebanon that's been in government since 2018, Hezbollah actually supported Hassan Diab uh, and the new government. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, th that was, you know, they supported the new government. And the reality is the state, as in the machine of the government, anywhere in the world, but especially in Lebanon, functions at the whim of the ruling class. You know, all the functionaries, all the uh, legislators, all of the judiciary people um, that, that the masses were looking to, these people weren't uh, impartial, right? They, they're connected to some form of uh, the political elite. They're connected to the old system. So they couldn't really reform a system. It was tantamount to asking the people in power to reform themselves, right? This is a system that benefited them. They were part and parcel, this new government, of the old ruling class. They're, they were not new, right? And all the corruption legislation in the world, all the anti-corruption legislation in the world, no matter how many papers you write, um, no matter how many laws you pass, it, no one will enforce it because the state is in the hands of uh, the ruling clique that is using it for this purpose. You know, technocrats don't really appear out of the sky and, and fall down completely pure for us to use in government. That's, not, that's just not how it works. You know, the people that find themselves in positions of power are supported by the, the people that created that power in the first place. So it's the same criminals, the same crooks that were robbing people, uh, and yes, even killing them, as we saw with the, uh, the blast in Beirut. Um, and you know, to exemplify this, I'll give you an example. Aoun, the president, and the secretary general, Hassan Nasrallah, remained in power. 
nothing uh, changed. So they, they've been in power even after the old revolution. They, they didn't leave at all, right? And then you've had kind of other parties that have attempted to join the revolution. So, so people have started to look to these other organizations that are uh, more pure, right? They haven't been in government during this horrible time. Maybe we can look to them, right? Parties like uh, you have the uh, kind of Christian Kete'eb party, this kind of right-wing Christian party that was founded on the ideas of Mussolini, actually, uh, a very fascist-leaning party. Or even uh, the Sunni parties, like the Future Movement, um, which were uh, removed from power before. You know, why don't we look to these people instead to, to help us, you know, to help run the society? Um, and it's important to understand that these people are tied to the sectarian system, right? So even though they've been involving themselves in the revolution in small ways, and even though they're not in government, right, um, they don't care about, about the masses. They, they really have no interest in helping the masses at all. Uh, their demands, uh, to give you an example, is what, we, what they're calling a disarmed city, or Beirut is a peaceful city. And this is really cold language. What it means is they want Hezbollah to give up uh, weapons. Hezbollah is a, the only party in Lebanon that still maintains uh, its arms from the civil war. And a big demand by these other parties is to give up uh, the weapons that Hezbollah has. And the problem with injecting the movement with this kind of rhetoric is what you're really saying is if Hezbollah didn't exist, right? If Hezbollah was removed from the situation and these other parties, party, the future movement, all of these people were in power instead, Lebanon would not be in this position. And that's fundamentally untrue. All of these people, no matter what party they come from, all the entire political establishment in Lebanon is tied to the sectarian system, benefits from it, and is interested not in getting, changing the situation and reforming things so that Lebanon is a brand new country where we can all you know, live in peace, et cetera, and have good jobs and healthcare, all these things. They're not interested in that. What they're interested in is taking power away from their enemies and doing the same shit, right? So they, they won't change anything. Uh, this is the fundamental problem. So even though they've tried to kind of position themselves as friends of the revolution or put themselves at the head of the revolution, the masses cannot trust them because these people are fundamentally tied to the system. They're part and parcel of the same problem. They're not a solution. But to give you an example of what they've been trying to do, so there was a, a protest of the foreign ministry, for example. Um, and this protest uh, was headed up by retired generals um, and retired army officers. And it was later found out that one of the people that had raised the slogan of disarming Hezbollah at this protest um, was actually tied to the Kata'ib party. Um, and uh, was coming out and saying that, oh, the Kata'ib is actually a friend of the revolution. Etc. So it's this kind of rhetoric that's actually very dangerous, right? Because it changes the revolution from uh, a united struggle of all the masses across all sectarian lines against sectarianism, against the corruption, and against uh, the ruling class to a struggle of one religion or party against another religion or party. It effectively divides the ruling class and separates them. So not only would they not change anything, it would actually weaken the masses. You know, the great power of this movement, the enormous power of it, is its ability to overcome these sectarian divisions. And these sectarian divisions, like I mentioned before, they're not, uh, you know, they're not uh, something that are inherent to society in the Middle East. And we see it in other countries too. You know, in Syria, you had uh, similar divisions 
in Saudi Arabia, you have similar divisions, etc. Across the whole region, the ruling class tries to use religion as a way to divide the masses, um, but it really comes from the top. It's only in the interest of the ruling class to divide people this way. So this is why the masses in Lebanon can't rely on any of these parties that are tied to the sectarian system. It would simply weaken uh, the struggle overall. The other group of people <laughs> that has been uh, making overtures to the movement and trying to help it are the forces of imperialism. Um, so uh, a part of the issue in Lebanon, in particular, all of these parties, how they maintain their power is actually capitalist powers outside of Lebanon uh, are tied to these parties and influence these parties and use them to maintain control of the region based on the old sectarianism that was established. Hezbollah in Iran is a good example. You also have uh, the Kitab party and the French. You have uh, the future movement and Saudi Arabia, right? So you have all of these international actors that are interested in maintaining Lebanon politically um, as, a, as a safe market, right? For them to make a quick buck, right? And maintain control of the Middle East. So it's this kind of game that they play. And the pawns in this game are the masses, right? So in the aftermath of the fall of the government, America and France uh, you know, are, are upping pressure. Actually, Macron, the president of France, was the first world leader to be in Beirut um, after the explosion. And uh, people were even looking to him for solutions. Uh, there was a petition online uh, to revive French rule, uh, which gained, I think, 80,000 uh, signups. Uh, and Macron was like, no, 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 of course, we would never consider, uh, you know, running Lebanon again. Lebanon has to be free and independent. But uh, we encourage Lebanon to make a deal with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Um, and the, the IMF, you know, trying to bail Lebanon out has, has become something that the movement is talking about. But it's important not to fall for this, uh, because obviously the IMF is a financial institution, and their interest is making a profit. <laughs> and who would they make pay for this profit? How would they bail Lebanon out? Um, they wouldn't just give money to, to the Lebanese government out of the kindness of their own hearts. They would do it at uh, the cost of what they call reforms. And what they mean by reforms isn't democratic reforms, a change to the sectarian system. What they mean is privatizations of industry. So there would be mass layoffs in Lebanon, more than there are now. There would be wage cuts, right? There would be a cuts to any social programs, things like education, et cetera. All of the development that Lebanon has made due to past struggles and past revolutions in the country would be cut back under the kind rule of the IMF. So the IMF would say, no, 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 Hezbollah shouldn't be in power. Instead, you should make a deal with uh, you know, France and America and, uh, and us democratic countries that really care about democracy and care about you, uh, Lebanese people. And maintain the same system as before, except now under the kind and benevolent eyes of the International Monetary Fund, um, which will take your livelihoods uh, and force, uh, force you to, to pay huge sums <laughs> to, uh, to this international institution. Um, and it would just generally cut the living standard of the Lebanese people. So they would make the Lebanese masses pay for the corruption um, of uh, the ruling class. They wouldn't fundamentally change anything. So these overtures by imperialism are, are quite are not good, right? Um, and it's the same, by the way, with Hezbollah and Iran. You know, th these kinds of uh, outside powers 
are not interested in any fundamental change. And in many ways, they've actually created this situation. Um, so, thank you. Um, so, for example, uh, the government, one of the governments that constantly would bail out the ruling class uh, in Lebanon would be the Macron and the French government. They would often give uh, money to the Lebanese government and would call the Lebanese people their eternal friends, you know, such kind language. Uh, but in reality, they have no interest in, in helping people. They just want to control the situation. So it's not a, so, a solution, um, this imperialism. It's a big part of why Lebanon is the way it is today, actually, is these outside actors um, instead. So, you know, what needs to happen instead then? You know, what, what is the alternative? Well, the alter there is an alternative to this. You know, you don't have to choose imperialism and you don't have to cho choose the same old sectarian system. What you actually can look to and what we should look to is the masses themselves, which have shown an enormous amount of pow power in, in how they've operated, an enormous amount of courage. You know, they've toppled two governments in less than a year. They've shown an enormous amount of potential. And even though, you know, one of the biggest problems I would say that the movement is facing is that it, ha it doesn't have kind of a core leadership. It, this is actually the best hope for Lebanon and the Lebanese masses is this ongoing revolution and movement that, that threatens the ruling class and threatens to actually change everything in Lebanon. Um, so what's needed is for the workers to trust themselves. They shouldn't look to the IMF or the imperialists and they shouldn't look to any kind of sectarian or political leadership in the already existing institutions in Lebanon, which are the same criminals that have put them in this situation. No, they have to actually trust themselves. So the revolution must take on popular demands of forming some kind of workers' government and spread that revolution across the country. Um, it should go into the workplaces and involve all of the workers in a general strike against the government. Um, and this general strike should actually form the embryo of a new government, which completely changes the situation, right? You should have a democratically planned economy based on the working class of Lebanon, based on, based on the people in the workplaces, based on the people in their unions, which use, uses Lebanon's wealth, which does exist for the good of the people. So you can fix the crumbling infrastructure. So we can fix the low wages. So we can fix the food crisis. So this is the only way forward, really. It's the only thing that, that is available that's going to provide a future for the Lebanese masses. It's not the existing parties and it's not any outside actors. And only by overthrowing the ruling class and putting the Lebanese masses in control of the economy and society can we see some kind of change. Only by not trusting these existing people. So what we need is to overthrow the ruling class of Lebanon. We need the Lebanese masses in control of the economy and society. And only in this way can we have a revolution that goes uh, that is victorious and that changes all the old, uh, throws out all the old criminal garbage and forms something entirely new um, that can change not just Lebanon, but also spread to other countries in the Middle East and provide a future for the Arab masses. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marxist Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud iTunes, or any major podcast provider, or visit our website at www.socialist.net. 
And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.